Hello, I'm Jimmy Al-Hijazi. I'm here with Mr. Jim Kennedy from 3 Consulting, and we're going to share our insights on how the United States handed China its rare earth monopoly and what Washington can do to bring it back. So Jim, what are the key points does our article convey beyond the standard narrative illustrating this transfer of power of the supply chain? Um, so yeah, the first thing uh, that we point out in the article is that the primary driver of the industry transfer was a 1980 Nuclear Regulatory Commission and IAEA Regulatory Commission regulation that defines source material um, as any material uh, containing over point. 0.5% thorium or uranium. This little known uh, regulatory change forced all of the byproduct producers and value chain end users of rare earths to disregard 50% of the world's supply. That same 50% also contained 99% of the heavy rare earths. And so uh, almost no one understands uh, this regulatory snafu. It, it usually is clouded behind the, um, the narrative that Mali Corp was the world's biggest and most important rare earth mine. But the fact is Mali Corp's primary business was selling lanthanum to the petroleum industry and it had almost no other relevance um, so um, that's really one of the biggest uh, regulatory issues. Um, as, as we point out in the article, another driver was uh, the complete lack of an industrial national uh, a, a national industrial policy. And by that, uh, we're talking about the U.S. Um, not having any controls over the transfer of tech, you know, sensitive technologies. And uh, as we lay out in the article, most of the, literally every technology China uses today to produce rare earths was willfully uh, voluntarily transferred to China uh, so that companies could save money or divert liabilities. And of course, the third thing is that since 1983, China has filed more patents than the rest of the world combined. Um, and the, if you put it, if you want to look at it in context, China files 35 new rare earth patents every year for every one patent that's filed in the United States. So those are the biggies. Well, well addressing those uh addressing those lot issues how is the next administration supposed to address this dilemma within the context of already proposed legislation uh, such as senator ted cruz's or act and mark rubio's rare earth co-op act okay yeah so um ted cruz's approach is to dig our way out of it uh and provide massive subsidies um but uh, I don't know how you can out-subsidy China. So that's got a problem. Uh, Marco Rubio's bill takes a, a more historic 
uh, uh, view of it and uh, considers the reutilization of the resources that are, are still mined today, but currently disposed of to, um, uh, to avoid those 1980 regulations. And he provides for a mechanism to manage the liabilities and he provides for a mechanism for all of our economic partners to operate within a cooperative uh, and have shared capital, shared risk, uh, and, um, and be able to um, self-produce like a utility. Uh, so it's, I think, much more pragmatic approach because it goes back and looks at the history of the failure and, and it starts addressing it there. Well, Jim, so you would prefer the co-op over the subsidy, uh, yes. Yes, because the problem with the subsidy-based uh, strategy is that it'll create more distortions in the market than already exist. And uh, these extremely high-priced materials that would be coming from government-subsidized uh, uh, facilities operating within the structure of the Pentagon, the materials would be too pricey for any private uh, corporations to use. So none of the technology companies in the world would participate. It would be just one more uh, inefficient uh, um, uh, uh, supply chain into the defense industry. And I don't think that's how you solve a problem. Well, Jim, it's a great opportunity to share this discussion with you. And on behalf of both of us, I want to thank our audience for tuning into our conversation. Thank you so much.